This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to the world of state food inspection, a branch of the State Department of Agriculture and Markets that you don't normally hear that much about until you do, and then you're happy they're on the job. To dive into this topic, we're joined by Jennifer Trodden, a deputy commissioner with the State Department of Agriculture and Markets, where she oversees the divisions on food safety inspection, milk control and dairy services, and the State Food Laboratory. Thanks for joining us, Deputy Commissioner. Thanks for having me. So when it comes to food inspections, what exactly is the mandate for your approximately 115 food inspectors? For example, what types of foods might be under their purview? And at what stage between the farm and, for lack of a better word, my mouth, do they get involved? So right from the farm uh, through the manufacturing plants, packaging plants, distribution, food warehouses, right to the retail food store actually inspect over 30,000 retail food stores right back to the farm and everywhere in between on a frequent basis. When we're there, we're checking for a variety of different things from general cleaning and sanitation, equipment and facility design, hazard awareness and control, and employee training, just to name a few. And how do food inspectors go about doing their job? For example, is it a proactive review for the most part, or do you find that a lot of it is reacting to situations that might come up? We use an educational kind of approach when we go into a retail food store or food manufacturer. We're checking for a variety of different items as it relates to food safety. While we're there, we're educating those food manufacturers and retail food store workers to help them understand what measures or mitigating measures they should take uh, to prevent any foodborne illness or outbreaks. And then on the more reactive approach, we do sample products that we believe could be potentially contaminated for a variety of different contaminants, whether it's bacteria like listeria, salmonella, E. coli, or chemical contamination like undisclosed allergens, heavy metal sulfites, things like that, as well as physical contamination like foreign objects like pieces of plastic or rocks. If in the event that we find an issue at any of those products, we do send them to our food lab for analysis. Our food lab receives over 20,000 food samples annually, perform over 400,000 analytical tests on those samples. And if issues are found, we take a legal approach. So we end up recalling the product and pulling it from the marketplace. Last year alone, we recalled 154 different food products, pulled them out of food distribution. Well, yeah, what might cause you to prompt that routine sampling process? For example, this summer, there was a press release we got about undeclared peanut allergens in Tom Brown cereal mix that was going to be sold in the Bronx. So maybe not necessarily that case in particular, but in general, do you get like tips or do you hear from the manufacturers that there might be a problem? What prompts that sampling? It can be right from a consumer. So we get consumer complaints that cause our food inspectors to go investigate the matter further. Our actual food inspectors read food labels while they're doing their inspections. Mm -hmm. And if they identify some issues associated with the label, such as was the case in the Tom Brand cereal mix, where it's a potential product that could have peanuts um, in the mix that wasn't declared as an ingredient on the label. So our inspector, who is highly trained in all things as it relates to food safety, sampling, uh, labeling, and inspection, they identified that this could be an issue. They sent it to the lab for analysis, 
and found out that it did have the peanut allergen present. Um, if it's something like listeria, for an example, it wouldn't be something that would be very evident or obvious because you can't see a bacteria. But in that case, we use a risk-based approach. So we, we target particular foods that are likely to have bacteriological contamination, and then we send those products to the, the lab for analysis. Uh, just this year alone, uh, we had an issue with a product that we sampled. It was bean sprouts. It was grown and harvested, packaged in Massachusetts. And that product was uh, sold in New York. We sent it to our food lab for analysis. We found out that it had listeria present. And then we worked with our state and federal partners to go inspect the facility, mitigate the issue, and pull all of those products from the marketplace. So I guess it's a variety of different approaches that we use. It's not just one size fits all. Well, I imagine your inspectors aren't necessarily operating in a vacuum out in the world of food. So are there other federal inspectors or even other inspectors from other state agencies that they overlap with? Or are these fiefdoms kind of carved out and everyone gets to operate their own little niche? So we have really strong working relationship with our federal partners like CDC, FDA, and USDA. When it comes to the Food and Drug Administration, we just signed actually just earlier this year an integrated partnership agreement because we both have dual jurisdiction in New York State when it comes to food or the regulation of food. What that means is that we're going to work together. We're going to use each of our own inspections you know, collaboratively as well as our lab data collaboratively to better use our resources. Um, When it comes to other states, each state does have jurisdiction within the confines of their own state. But if there is a product that is in in interstate commerce, that's when the FDA uh, steps in and helps the coordination between the different states. So like the example of the Massachusetts product, we identified the product to be contaminated, but the folks in Massachusetts were able to work with the grower and packer in that state to actually pull that product uh, right from the manufacturing plant. And when it comes to the work that your inspectors do, are they guided primarily by state laws and regulations, or are they responsible for implementing any of the federal rules and regulations? So we have both. So we have a variety of different ag and markets, New York state laws that that, for example, require food manufacturers, dairy manufacturers, warehouses, and retail stores to be licensed, permitted, and inspected by us. Um, those types of laws then relate to regulations that we either adopt federal regulations or we write our own regulations. More often than not, we're adopting the Code of Federal Regulations uh, to implement and impose the laws that we have imposed here in New York State. We typically adopt those Code of Federal Regulations by what we call consensus rulemaking. Mm -hmm. So it mimics the federal regulations as much as possible. How much leeway or latitude or autonomy, I guess, do food inspectors have when they're doing, say, like a site visit? Because I have to imagine there are people who understand what's important and what's maybe not as important, what might be seen as trivial violations, so to speak, based on their potentially years of experience. So is there any sort of give and take that food inspectors have, or is their mandate pretty rigid? 
So it's very rigid. So it's it's a very prescriptive approach that we use to identify what we call a general deficiency, which is basically housekeeping and sanitation versus a critical deficiency, which is um, an issue that is likely or more likely than not going to lead lead to a foodborne illness. So the critical deficiencies in the prescriptive measures that we use are based on science. So it's based on, from a scientific perspective, if this hazard is present, it is likely to lead to a foodborne illness. There is no real leeway. When the inspectors are out there doing their inspections and they identify these deficiencies, they have a guide that they use to understand through their training whether the deficiency falls into either one of the categories, whether it's critical violation or a general violation. Do you find that if there is a food manufacturer or someone who's involved with food production or food sales, that if they have gone, say, years without any violations, those tend to be good actors who you don't necessarily need to keep as much of an eye on? Or do the rules require constant review of facilities, constant inspections, and there's not a lot of leeway in that area either? So the approach that we use is we use a risk-based inspection approach, which means that depending on the type of food that they manufacture or they process will dictate how many times we actually visited them. Mm. So even if they do have a really great record because of the risk associated with the foods that they're processing, we keep the inspection frequency to the same level. If in the event that they are a frequent violator, we do have a return inspection requirement so a reinspection occurs within 30 to 60 days after the violation is noted. And if it's critical deficiency, you know, that's when we go back within the 30 to 60 days to make sure that that critical deficiency has been mitigated and corrected. And if they fail their inspection again, then we would go back to them 30 to 60 days again. So if in the event that it is a food manufacturer that is supposed to be visited, for an example, once a year, but they are frequently violating the inspection process or they have critical deficiencies that have been identified, our inspectors are going to be visiting them more often. Because there are I think, nearly 30,000 yeah. food establishments that fall under your purview and you have about 115 inspectors working statewide, does that mean you have to triage your approach to inspecting or does that number work for you, that current dynamic? So a triage is a very good way of putting it. So that's what the risk-based inspection um, basically creates. It it identifies using a risk-based approach. It allows our inspectors to focus on the areas that are high risk. And yes, we do have an enormous task in front of us, but we use a variety of different types of, of measures or tools to try and gain compliance. You know, just a couple of years ago, with regard to the notice of inspections that we place in retail stores, uh, we created this new grading system. This grading system allows the consumer, as they walk into the store, understand how well the store is in compliance with the New York State laws. We use, like, an ABC system. It's very similar to the, what restaurants use. So, again, the customers can easily relate to whether this is a store that's in compliance or a store that. Um, has some issues that that they need to correct or mitigate. That was a different and uh, innovative approach to 
kind of bring in some exposure to the inspection process and um, allowing everybody to kind of be part of this food safety system. Um, another change that we use or that we just implemented very recently um, is with regard to our compliance strategy. So instead of having uh, those organizations that do um, fail their inspections frequently, we're now uh, using a more proactive approach and, and meeting them in their facility with their manager and explaining to them what exactly the deficiencies mean and walking through the facility with them, showing them you know, some of the things that we look for so that they're a little bit more educated on um, some of the hazards that they could very easily correct themselves. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a, the, the triage is, in addition to the risk-based approach, we're using these other, other tools to try and help us uh, attack this pretty extraordinary amount of inspections that we have to complete. And then we also work very well with our federal partners, like FDA, to, to not reduce or duplicate our efforts. So if the FDA is doing an inspection of the facility, we will take their inspection and add it into our system and then vice versa. If we're doing inspections of facilities that are uh, registered with the FDA that are also licensed by the department, then the FDA takes our inspections and they take it um, and enter it into their system. So we, we use a variety of different approaches. Well, finally, I just have two personal questions for you. One, because you know how the sausage is made, so to speak, uh, across a variety of foods now. Are there things that you will not eat as the result of your time in the food inspection game? There is nothing that I will not eat. So I am um, a salad lover, and uh, I particularly like romaine lettuce. And I don't know if you're you're watching some of the activities <laughs> with regard to romaine lettuce, but um, it's in the news a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't mean that there aren't growers that are out there doing a really great job uh, to make sure that the food that they provide to all of us is safe for consumption. So I, I eat it all. And the second question I had was, according to your resume, you began your career in public service as a health inspector yeah. uh, in Ireland. What takeaways do you have from that experience? Does anything resonate with you to this day from that uh, time? Well, I do have, obviously, um, I've lived here for 25 years. I did start my public service, as you mentioned, in the Department of Health in Dublin, Ireland. It was a great experience. Um, The system that they have there mimics the system that we have here. Um, But it means that there are always going to be issues in the food system. So even as technology advances and how science just changes the way we're even looking at food or even eating food, Things change, but so do the regulations. Training is necessary in order for everybody to know exactly, you know, what they're looking at, what they're inspecting. So um, all of the things that I learned 25 years ago still stay with me today, but it's definitely a different food safety world that we're living in. Are you glad to be, I guess, off the front line, so to speak? I never say that I'm glad to be off the front line. I would be happy to be still out there doing an inspection. i <laughs> very frequently visit my inspectors uh, to see how things are going, to really kind of take it back from a policy perspective and see what we can do better. Um, And New York State is a very big state where we have a very um, big mission in front of us, but, you know, it's not uh, going to be done in a vacuum. And I do appreciate and want all of their input as based on what they see every day so that we can make change at a higher level. 
Well, we've been speaking with Jennifer Trotten. She's a deputy commissioner with the State Department of Agriculture and Markets. Jennifer, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed myself. Oh, thank you, David. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.